That's a beautiful piece. Love that. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus. And this morning we're headed back to Luke chapter 2. We're in the final Sunday of our series, God With Us. And Luke chapter 2 for our reading this morning. If you're physically able, if you'd stand. And we're going to begin this morning in verse number 25 if, with our reading as we get into the fourth message here in our series. Luke 2, verse number 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Today we're going to talk about the presence. And the notes are provided in your bulletin. Father, would you bless now as we preach your word this morning. We thank you so much for your grace and your goodness in our lives. And we ask that in this message that you would help us to understand God's place in our lives today. We do celebrate you as the baby born in the manger and as the Savior on the cross, but we also celebrate you as the one who sustains us today, this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. It's great to have some of our young people home from colleges around the country, and Michaela's going to come and sing this morning. me cries for order everything inside me wants to hide is this a shadow of an angel or a warrior if God is pleased with me why am I so terrified someone tell me am I only dreaming somehow help me see with heaven's eyes and before my head agrees my heart it's on its knees holy is he blessed am I be born in me be born in me trembling heart somehow i believe that you chose me i'll hold you in the beginning you will hold me in the end 
Make my heart your Bethlehem, be born in me. All this time we've waited for the promise. All this time you've waited for my arms. Did you wrap yourself inside the unexpected? So we might know that love would go that far. Be born in me. Be born in me. Trembling heart, somehow I believe that you Just a girl, nothing more, but I am willing, I am yours. Emmanuel is God with us, and we've seen these last few weeks that Jesus has an identity, and, and that identity at this time of year is the one that, that a lot of people, it's the only one they recognize, which is his identity in the manger. But as believers, we go much further than that because we buy into his identity as being not just the one who was born, but the one who was born to die. The one, the one who was born to die and then be buried and then resurrect from the tomb. And so as we introduce our topic today, I want to go back and think about the fact that there was a prophecy originally given by Isaiah, which we saw a few weeks ago, that he would be the Christ. And then we read this morning in Luke 2 that this infant Jesus would be the one who would save the world and then I want to go fast forward a little bit 
to Matthew 28. Now, this is backward in your Bible, but it's fast-forwarding in his life. All right, so Matthew 28. And this is as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. So we've seen Isaiah 700 years before Christ. We see Simeon when Jesus is an infant in the temple. And now we hear the words of Jesus himself as he's about to ascend into heaven. Matthew 28, verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So let's put this together here. The gospel prophesied hundreds of years before Christ has now been fulfilled in Christ, and he's going to give now to his disciples where this gospel will go out through the Great Commission to all people. Jesus promised that his presence would continue not only in his apostles, but would extend past those 11 men. And so as we are in this part of the introduction, look over at the book of Acts for a minute. In Acts chapter 26, as this promise of God's presence, this promise of Jesus as the presence or of the spirit who's been put upon the disciples extends to the apostle Paul and his testimony. <coughs> Acts chapter 26. Now, this is later in Paul's life, and he's giving a testimony of what had happened when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 26, verse number 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is when he was Saul of Tarsus. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. Now look at this next section. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. So there's a purpose here. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I, wrote, I want to read that whole long section because at the end of it, <laughs> the presence of Jesus Christ 
has extended to his disciples and now to Paul. And now Paul is going to show us that that presence extends to every person who will ever believe. It extends to us here in December of 2015 through the Spirit of God now living in us. And so let's go to God's presence in our lives in the here and now in Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to walk through the scriptures a little bit this morning. Make sure we keep you awake after your holiday ham. All right, how many of you do, uh, just a little informal poll, how many do ham on Christmas? Okay, how many do turkey? How many do prime rib? Game hen? Venison? Elk? Whatever you feel like? Okay, I did how many of you don't eat Christmas dinner? I mean, we just didn't have much of a vote on that at all. How many do turkey and ham together? Okay, yeah, I like you. You're kind of my kind of my kind of people. Do you do the deep fried turkey? Do that? No, that's not the way to go. That's the way to go. <laughs> I like this guy. He's the man right there. Galatians two. Now look at this. This is such a powerful verse. I've got just a section of it underlined in my Bible because it's so powerful. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I want you to notice this next section. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Isn't that powerful? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so it's not I, but Christ living in me. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 1. So a few more pages to your right. Philippians chapter 1. Here's Paul, the same guy who was saved on the road to Damascus, who Jesus said, I'm going to give you my presence and you're going to go to the Gentiles and you're going to change them from darkness to light. And now look what he says through the Holy Spirit to us. Philippians 1, verse number 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So if you have your notes out now, we're going to get to the first part of the message, which is this. Living is Christ. Living is Christ. For to me, to live is is Christ. And this is a phrase that we're familiar with. We see it on bumper bumper stickers. (laughs) I live for fishing, or I live for ice cream, or I live for football. Well, the motto of every believer is supposed to be, I live for Jesus. The destination of authentic believer's life is Jesus Christ. And he says, for to me to live is Christ. But we could put it up on our wall, or we could make it a computer screensaver. We could even put it as the background on your phone, right? That doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. It's not as easy as saying the sentence, for to me to live is Christ, and it's over. And it's done. It's going to happen. And in fact, even if we said it over and over, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. In reality, your intentions don't determine your destination. Did you get that? Your intentions don't determine your destination. Now, when it comes to everything else, we figure this out. 
Right? When it comes to travel, we figure this out. When it comes to getting things from the store, we've got this, we, with the practical deals, we got this figured out. But when it comes to spirituality in Jesus Christ, we miss the boat on this one. Because we think that our intentions are good enough. Just like politicians, when they stand before people and tell them what they want to hear, they think that their intentions are good enough. By the way, there's been a whole lot of politicians who've been elected based on intentions. Not on track record, but on intentions. Not on reality, but on intentions. And I'm here to tell you this morning as we close out this year, your intentions for 2016 don't mean a whole lot unless you get on the path to get there. So intentions don't determine your destination. Your direction is what determines your destination. Last week, we sat down with our kids and we watched It's a Wonderful Life. And goodness gracious, if you've never seen that, uh, you ought to at least watch it once. So it seems like we watch it every year. And uh, you may remember, uh, it's uh, the old Jimmy Stewart movie, Frank Capra, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, Jimmy Stewart, you know, is just in the depths of despair. Uncle Billy has lost $8,000 at the bank because old crooked Mr. Potter took, you know, he put it in the newspaper and Potter took it and didn't give it back. And and, uh, George is out on the bridge and he's thinking of taking his own life and the angel Clarence jumps in. You guys remember this, right? And uh, it's interesting because when, when George was a young man, you remember all he ever talked about, he's a little kid, Came in the drugstore. Hee-haw, right? Uh, what do you want, Mary? You want the moon? I'll give it to you. Right? <laughs> Put a little show around it. And, you know, what's he always talking about? I want to see the world. And he's got these pamphlets. He's going to Spain. He's going to Italy. Now, you, you guys who watched the movie, you think about this. Did George ever leave to go anywhere? Uh, he stayed his whole life right there in Bedford Falls. And he never left anywhere. He didn't go on an ocean liner. He never went on a plane. He didn't go to war like his brother Harry had become a, a, you know, this Congressional Medal of Honor winner. He stayed in Bedford Falls because intentions don't determine your destination. Your direction does. And if you don't get anything else from being here today, please get this. Your direction is what determines your destination. It is exactly what it is. <laughs> and it's just not your intentions. It's it's not what your mode of transportation looks like. You can have the best car in the parking lot, but if you don't get on the right road, you won't get there. It's not the people who are with you on the trip that determine your destination. You may have the best crew with you, but if you're not on the road, you're not going to get there. The path is what determines where the journey will end. And the path to Christ is toward Christ. Think about it that way. Living is Christ. But then I want to see the second part, which is learning like Christ. If you want to end up at Christ, you have to be headed toward Christ. And to travel to Christ, you have to live like Christ. And we saw this last week in Philippians chapter 2. So you're already in Philippians. You're all all set up for this. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the mindset of Jesus was to take on the form of a servant, to humble himself, and to live in obedience to the Father. And here's the deal. That's going to have to be our mindset if we want to be like Christ. That's really what it comes down to. If we want to be like Christ, that has to be our mindset. The most difficult task, really, in the committed believer's life, I think, is to remain focused on keeping the mind of Christ. There's so many circumstances and trials and distractions and things that we chase that take us off the path. And a daily walk with God is so important because it helps us to come back to the path before we get too far away. It helps us to remember our focus on the path. That's why you should commit in 2016 to walk with God every day. To get in his word every day, to get involved in a prayer life every day. Here's why. Because every day you need to be thrown back into the path. Every day you need to return your mind to be like the mind of Christ. It doesn't happen by accident. And what we think is, well, you know, I'll go to church next Sunday and everything will be good again. But what we don't realize is that while we're off the path for that whole week, a lot of things can happen. A lot of bad things can happen in our life when our mind is not like Christ. And and every day we have to come before God. (coughs) And think of of it this way. Jesus gives this model prayer, right? You guys all know it. It's Christmas time. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And earth as it is in heaven. And what does he say to you? Remember that? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why, do we, why should we pray that prayer? What's the model there? The model is... I need to be corrected every day back onto the path. I have to be like Christ. I sometimes get distracted, and you get distracted. Several years ago, my wife and I got to go to Venice, Italy. Yeah, that's a pretty neat place. And it's all these um, tiny islands that are kind of together, and they're one city. And you, maybe you've seen pictures of it. It's... Um, out in the lagoon, up at the very top of uh, what the Mediterranean area. But you know, in Venice, it's fun to get lost. It really is. It's one of my favorite things while we were there. I just tell my wife, you know what? I'm going to go get lost for a while. <laughs> and that's, that was a dream to her because she's been wanting me to get lost for a long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just teasing, right? It's, it's just a joke. Want, want me to get lost, but... Um, I went to look for a church because I had read online that there was a Protestant church. Now, uh, Baptists are Protestant. We're from the time of Christ before there were ever Protestants. But um, it's the closest thing to what we would kind of believe. And, and so I went to look. Well, I went and I found it. But the building was like empty and there's nobody there. 
and I sort of actually did find it. But every time I'd go out for a walk or go with my wife, we would deliberately try to get lost. It was really fun. But what happens when you get lost in Venice is the neatest thing is no matter where you go, no matter how lost you are, you always end up back at Piazza San Marco. <laughs> it just happens. You always come into it a different way, it seems like. You're like, whoa, I've been here before. There's a big tall tower and these, these big poles, and you've probably seen the, the square in pictures or movies or something, and you always end up back at that square, <laughs> no matter how lost you are. Like, you're going down these streets. They call them streets. They're like this wide. Like, you have to walk through it sideways. It's a street. And you go down this street, and then, you know, you're turning, and you're like, wow, I'm really lost. And you pop back out on the piazza. And it's the neatest thing. But here's what I have to tell you. Life's not like that. See, getting off path is serious. In life, it's really serious. You don't always just naturally come back to where you're supposed to be in life. And when you get off course, you go farther than you planned on going. That's what happens to a lot of people this time of year. Like, well, I messed up. I might as well just stay really messed up for a while, and then I'll get it all right at the new year. And the other thing about it is you're gone off the path longer than you ever thought you'd be gone. I talk to people that are like, well, you know, I messed my life up several years ago, and I thought that I'd just get it all straightened out, but that's not the way it worked. And after I lost a marriage or two marriages or three marriages, and after I lost my kids, not once but twice or three times, finally I figured out what I was supposed to do. You're gone longer than you ever thought you'd be gone. And the worst thing about it is the price is much higher than you ever thought it would be. The price of getting off course is so high. And I hate to see families get off course because the cost is so, so high. You know, parents think that treating church attendance as a convenience instead of a priority won't cost them anything. That's what they think. In fact, there are families who should be here today in church, but it's kind of a convenience. It's holidays. It's kind of a good excuse. And you know what? We'll just have a sleep-in day or whatever. And that won't cost us anything. You know what it's going to cost you? It's going to cost your kids. Because when they become adults, it won't even be a thought process for them. They'll just skip church. Their kids won't even know who Jesus is. And parents think that making Sunday school or youth group optional won't have any price. They think that making poor entertainment choices for their families isn't going to cost them anything. They think that leaving God out of their daily routine at home won't cost them anything and the price is so much higher than we can imagine. Your kids won't grow up to be what you intend them to be. They will grow up based on the path that you led them on. Think about that. Because as I said, we get this in travel, right? Like if I'm going to go to Seattle, I know I've got to go in a certain direction. If I'm going to go to Salt Lake, I know I've got a certain direction. But when it comes to life, when it comes to families, when it comes to raising the families, why is it that we think our intentions are going to work? Why is it that those long talks that we had when we were dating about how our kids are going to be and what our ideals are going to be as a family, why do we think that was good enough? 
if we don't put it into practice, then there's no path for our family. And intentions don't determine destination, direction does. And so kids are going to grow up based on the path you led them on. If the path is not Jesus Christ, guaranteed they'll have very little relationship with their creator. And that's why this third point is so important. And it's kind of worded weird, but I want you to get the truth of it. Losing, not Christ. Losing, not Christ. And what it really means is getting rid of anything that's not Christ. Anything that doesn't lean toward Christ or make us like Christ is a distraction. Still in Philippians, look at chapter 3 now. Look what Paul says now to us as believers about the presence of our Savior. Verse number 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Look at verse 10. I love this verse. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I have to get rid of anything that's not Christ. If I'm unwilling to get rid of the things that stop me, from growing in Jesus Christ, I can't grow. It's impossible to grow as a believer with distractions. The authentic believer has to count all things as loss to win Christ. You know, Jesus said it this way. Whosoever will save his life, do you remember what he said? Shall lose it. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And what that means is, Everything we're trying to clutch and hold on to, right? We got it everywhere. Hold it. We lose it all anyway. That's what he's saying. Everything we're holding on to, with all we're worth and with all of our strength and with all of our effort and with hours and hours a week and with so much attention, we're holding on to it and we lose it anyway. Right? So then he said, but whosoever loseth his life for my sake and for the gospel shall find it. See, it's worth everything to get rid of anything that takes me off course. Anything that's removing my focus from Jesus Christ. Now let's say you are a Kansas City Royals fan. there. Right here. Cynthia Maxwell. And some of the rest of you are, and I'm not going to say you're Fairweather fans. Maybe you've been a fan for a long time, but I just haven't spoken to you. I know that Cynthia and I, we were Kansas City Royals fans way, 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 way before it was popular. (laughs) Right? Like, we were Kansas City Royals fans back in the 70s when they were okay, but they never won a World Series. And then in 1985, they won when I was 13. And then they hit, 
And they stayed there for 30 long years. And if you don't follow baseball people, they won the World Series this year in 2015. Now, only like four people even knew that. You're like, oh, yeah. I remember seeing that in the newspaper. I read that on Twitter, I think. Come on. And Cynthia's even got her Royals sweater on today. I like that. Here's this guy right here. I, like, I knew I liked him. I knew I liked him. But let, let's say we're going to take a road trip. And uh, we're going to go to a Kansas City Royals baseball game. So we get online, we buy the tickets, and we, we get the van, and we're, gonna, we're just going to drive. Because, man, it's, it's just going to be a fun road trip, driving all the way across Wyoming and Nebraska, right? It's just yeah. great. <laughs> Judy told me her daughter just left Rollins. And it was, what, 20-something below? 27 below wind chill. Let's say we, uh, we get going, though, we get on the interstate, and we pop down and go through the little funnel in Ogden and head out east, and we finally hit I-80 there at Evanston. And we go, you know, keep going, and we see Little America, and they've got the ice cream cones for 50 cents. Maybe we stop, right? And, um, and then we go through the tunnel at Rock Springs, and whoa, and I always honk the horn. And, and, um, and then we get to Rollins, just the greatest metropolis on the planet, right? We, st- we stop in Rollins at the truck stop to eat dinner. And while we're there, we're like, wow, this is really good. I like this food here. And then we, they put us, you know, we stop at the truck stop. Beside it, there's this kind of this rundown hotel, and we stay the night. Good day's drive to Rollins. And we were in the, the hotel. We're like, you know what? I really like this hotel. And kind of stay for a few days and just keep staying there. And and then we go down to the local store and buy some stuff. We rent an apartment. Kind of just stay in town. After a while, we say, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay right here in Rollins. And somebody in the group says, but wait just a second. We missed the reason why we're going on the trip. We missed the whole point of why we came here in the first place. Like, yeah, but I like Rollins. I want you to think about this, folks. How many of us as believers are so distracted of what we're really supposed to be doing that we've totally lost sight of the prize? And we're living to fix up a roach motel when Jesus is the prize we're supposed to look for. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, my story just made no sense. Like, Rollins. Why would we stop in Rollins? Some of you, I lost you when I said Kansas City Royals. Like, why would we even... You know, if I said Seattle Seahawks, you know, maybe we would have just got lost in the Dowels or something on the way west. You probably wouldn't even go through the Dowels. Probably go up through Snoqualmie. That would be great this time of year. Think about how distracted we get. And we get off course and we buy into things and we load ourselves down with things. And what God wants us to do is He wants us to stay on the path. And He wants us to set aside the distractions because our intentions don't determine our destination. Our direction is what determines it. We get to Philippians 3 a little further. 
I want you to see this fourth part because this is really what the presence of Jesus means to us, which is laboring through Christ. Laboring through Christ. We are called to serve. Think about it. We are called to serve. We're not called to be pampered. We're not called to be princesses and princes. Now, we're going to be that someday. We're going to reign with him for all eternity. But we're called to be servants. We're called to be slaves. And I find in American Christianity today that most people think that we're called to be consumers. Like, I'm going to go to that church as long as it meets my needs. If they just had a better youth department, I think we could go here. Right? If the Bible study for ladies was just better, or if the kids or if the music, whatever it is, we become consumers in our Christianity. And could I just be kind of sort of nicely blunt with you? We need more people at Centennial who are called to serve and not called to be consumers. There's enough consumers in our society. There's enough consumers in Christianity. We're here to labor through Christ. In fact, could I give you a hint of what our theme is for the next, next year? I'll just go ahead and give you a hint. It comes from the verse Philippians 1.27, which says that we are to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so next Sunday we'll start a series on that verse. But we're, we're not here just to hang out. We're not here just to sit in the recliner. We're here to serve. We're here to labor through Christ. And so Philippians 3, look what he says now in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So see, Jesus is the destination. He's what we're supposed to be striving for. Paul says it right there. I press toward the mark. I, I want Christ. I want to know him. I want to be like him. He's the destination. But you know, we've also discovered that he's the path to the destination. So he's the destination and he is also the journey. His presence is not just the ultimate prize. It's the trip to get there. We can only be what we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do through him. Look at chapter 4. Sometimes this verse is misunderstood a little bit. And I've seen it on lots of like placards and on walls, and it's a great verse. Look at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Boy, athletes take that verse. Uh, I can run a 4.340 through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Right? I can touch the rim through Jesus Christ, who strengtheneth me. You know, I tried that for years and years. And apparently, I'm just not a good believer. I just don't have the faith I need on that one. I wonder if what the verse means is that we're supposed to 
think it this way. I can do what I'm supposed to do as a believer through Christ that strengthens me. I wonder if it doesn't really mean I can buy a Porsche 911 through Christ which strengthens me. I wonder if that one's off base. And I wonder if I'm messed up in my thinking with that. What if it really means I can do what I'm supposed to do on the path to get to the destination of Jesus Christ through Christ, which strengtheneth me? And what if it really meant that? Pretty sure that's what the context is showing us. It's all through him. The focus we need, the power we need, the comfort we need, the burden bearing that we need. Galatians 2.20, remember what it said? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. He is the presence. He's the path. He's also the prize. See, Jesus is all we need. He's completely sufficient as the Emmanuel. He's God with us. And when we think about putting this whole thing together, that the prophet gave this promise, the virgin's going to conceive and bear a son. And there were all these participants, and Mary and Joseph and Gabriel and shepherds and wise men. And then there's the person of who Jesus actually was as he came to the earth and he grew up sinless and performed miracles and died on a cross and rose from the tomb and ascended into heaven. But you know, the one that's the most applicable to us is the one today, the presence. Because the Bible says in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a pretty powerful motto, isn't it? I think of that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you ever think about that, you obviously realize it's not talking about you. Right? You look in the mirror, you're like, I'm the hope of glory. Right? Now, some of you guys, when you're 18, you, you kind of thought, I'm the hope of all women in the world. Right? I'm the hope of this basketball team. I can touch the net. I'm the hope of every... No, look, look, the only way that Christ in you, the hope of glory, works is if you get the Christ in you part. Right? If there's no Christ in you, you're not the hope of anything. You need help. And yet, with that power, Christ in you, the hope of glory, His presence performs His promise so that we can move forward and do what he's asked us to do. So I hope you'll take that this morning. It's such a, such a powerful thought. And it's not even original with me about the destination. It's, listen, don't walk into the new year thinking that your intentions are going to determine where you end up. Get on the path. Direction is what determines destination. Let's bow in prayer this morning. As we bow today, I'd just like to ask you this. I don't have any formalism to this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or go anywhere or see anybody. I just want you to think about it inside of your own heart. Are you 
on the path to become like Jesus Christ, or you do, do you just say you're on the path? Are you on the path to leading your family to be who God has made them to be, or you, do you just say you're on the path? Do your intentions and your direction add up to each other? Or is there a difference? Is there a wish? Is there a hope that you would be something else or you'd do something else or you'd be on a different path? I'd encourage you this morning as we close to take your path for this coming year and make Jesus your path. Make him your direction and your destination. And he will empower you to be what he wants you to be. Maybe you're here without Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want you to know that we can take the word of God and show you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. Father, would you work in us and through us this morning that we might live to be like you and that we might live through you because when you live in us, we're the hope of glory. And without you, we can do nothing. And so I pray that you would guide us and guard us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Before we close this morning, I like to do this. Aaron and Melissa are down here. And it got in about 10.30 last night. I just want to pray over them a little bit. And welcome them to our church community. And so I'm going to have Aaron kind of go over on this side with me and my wife take Melissa on that side. And as many of you want, just gather around, and male, female, whatever, just kind of gather around in your section. And let's just pray over them a little bit before we dismiss today, all right? Corporate prayer is a powerful thing. We studied that in life group this morning. And just gather around and let's, let's have a time of prayer over this young couple.